Good morning. Our next case is Toshiba Global Commerce Solutions versus Smart and Final Stores, and we will hear from the appellant. Mr. Chief Justice and Honorable Justices, may it please the Court. My name is Paul Sun. I represent Smart and Final Store, so, Stores, LLC, and I'll refer to them as SFS. And I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal, please. The business court erred when it concluded that it could exercise personal jurisdiction over SFS. That was a legal error. I'm going to address first the standard of review. This case involves a contract, a contract between SFS and Toshiba Global Commerce Solutions, and I'll refer to Toshiba um, by just Toshiba. It's a master maintenance and service agreement. And what this court has said and what the US Supreme Court has said is that when a case involves a contract and the personal jurisdiction question is raised, the essential question is whether the contract has a substantial connection to the forum. So a non-forum resident contracting with a forum resident, here the non-forum resident, SFS, contracting with the forum resident, Toshiba, the question is whether that contract has a substantial connection to the forum here in North Carolina. There are a number of factors uh, addressed in the party's briefs, but principal among them and factors that show that there is not a substantial connection of the master maintenance service agreement to North Carolina are that, one, that contract is not centered in North Carolina. Two, it does not require performance in North Carolina. And three, even where Toshiba did do some acts in North Carolina, those acts are not connected at all to SFS and therefore cannot be attributed to SFS for purposes of personal jurisdiction. Um, addressing first standard of review, uh, as it should be and always is, uh, the parties agreed on the standard of review in their briefs uh, in our opening brief at page 40 and Toshiba's brief at page 14. Findings of fact are conclusive on appeal if there is competent evidence to support them and that legal conclusions are reviewed de novo. That latter proposition, both sides cited only court of appeals opinions because we're not aware of a case from this court that has uh, said that as clearly as some of the Court of Appeals opinions have. Uh, and I don't know that there's any question to be raised about that, but I want to address standard of review because of a supplemental authority filing from, uh, from Toshiba uh, just last week. Uh, and there are some recent decisions from this court, and I want to address those. And, and in fact, I, I told my friend, Mr. Zimmerman, uh, Toshiba's counsel, that we were also considering whether to submit supplemental authority because, of course, the court would be very familiar with those cases just recently decided. But one of those cases was uh, Button v. Uh, level 4. And, and this is Level 4. And this is what the court said. And this is at paragraph 35 of the court's opinion. The standard of review of an order determining personal jurisdiction is whether the findings of fact by the trial court are supported by competent evidence in the record. No problem there. If so, this court must affirm the order of the trial court. So there's no, no statement there about considering whether the findings of fact can, can support the conclusion of law. That is what we would say is a conclusion of law, that personal jurisdiction can be uh, uh, based in this case. I will say in, in that case, the Button case, in paragraph 44, the court did note, this court did note that there are uh, a distinction between conclusions and findings. Paragraph 44, although not designated as findings of fact in the trial court's order, the factual allegations relied upon by the trial court do support its conclusion that personal jurisdiction is proper over level, level four holdings. So again, that seems consistent with what the Court of Appeals has always said. But one other case that came out uh, just recently was the Ponder v. Bin or Bean case. Uh, that's a case where this court reversed based on the reasoning in the dissent. Two one case out of the Court of Appeals, the court reversed based on the dissent. Uh, but the, the dissent cited a number of Court of Appeals opinions 
uh, and I can read that. The determination of whether jurisdiction is statutorily and constitutionally permissible due to contact with the forum is a question of fact. So that's what the dissent said in, in the Ponder case. And again, this court uh, reversed based on the dissent, not necessarily to have adopted all of the reasoning, but, but did adopt the conclusion. Uh, so uh, I wanted to address the, the standard of review here because respectfully, uh, that uh, we would contend that assertion by the Court of Appeals is not correct. Personal jurisdiction ultimately is not a question of fact. It is a legal conclusion. The findings of fact have to support that legal conclusion. And again, I'm not sure there's, a, there's a, uh, gonna be a contest on that, but since these, these cases did come out very recently from this court, I wanted to, to say that at least from our perspective, uh, again, no question that findings of fact are conclusive on appeal if there's competent evidence. But whether those findings of fact support the ultimate conclusion that personal jurisdiction is proper, that's a legal question and it's reviewed de novo by this court. This is a case, again, the parties agree, this is a case about specific personal jurisdiction, not general jurisdiction. Uh, and uh, there are three parts and really only two are at issue here in a specific personal jurisdiction case. One, has the non-forum defendant personally, purposefully availed itself of the privilege of conducting business in the forum? Two, do the forum resident's claims arise from or relate to the defendant's contacts with the forum? And then the third part is, is a question, again, we, we didn't challenge this part, but is it constitutionally would it be constitutionally unreasonable even if there's purposeful availment and even if the claims arise from or relate to would it still be constitutionally unreasonable to exercise personal jurisdiction? And we're not Before contesting. you get too far into that, I want to ask you about um, your discussion of the standard of review. I want to make sure I'm understanding. Yes, you are. Um, as I understand what you said, you're not challenging any of the findings of fact. Is that correct? No, we are challenging some of the findings, but we agree that the standard this court will apply is if there is competent evidence to support them, then those findings are conclusive. Uh, on appeal. Okay. Um, as I read the order, some of the, he separates the paragraphs into findings of fact and conclusions of law, but it appears that some of the ones that are designated as conclusions of law include findings of fact. I agree with that, Your Honor. Okay. And have you have you specifically um, challenged those as not supported by the evidence? Some of the findings of fact we have we have challenged as not supported by competent evidence. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll ask you about specifics when you get to them. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, specific personal jurisdiction. Again, the parties agree. Again, the parties agree that there must be purposeful availment and the claims must arise from and relate to the defendant's contacts with the form. So, how does substantial connection of the contract work in there? That's what establishes both purposeful availment and that the, con that the claims arise from or relate to the contacts of the defendant with the forum. So if, if, the, if the defendant, non-forum defendant's contract has a substantial connection with the forum, that establishes that the non-forum defendant purposely availed itself of the privilege of conducting business in the state of North Carolina. So purposeful availment is met. Also, if those claims then arise from or relate to that same contract, it has a substantial connection to those defendants' contacts. And therefore, there is the second part, the second conclusion to establish per, uh, personal jurisdiction, specific personal jurisdiction. So again, there, there's agreement, I think, on, on that all the way up to this point, but, but where we part company with Toshiba is applying those principles to the facts of the case. And, and respectfully, there are two overriding principles that I think apply. Uh, and I mentioned one of them already. One, a contract has substantial connection with the forum when it, when it is centered in the forum. Uh, that uh, proposition was stated in this court's recent decision in Muha v. Wagner, citing the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Ford, a recent case in the Supreme Court last year. So, substantial connection is the contract centered in the forum the master maintenance service agreement is not centered in North Carolina. What that agreement involves is 
Toshiba providing maintenance and repair services for SFS's point of sale equipment and related devices in the stores. Uh, SFS uh, operates uh, retail uh, grocery stores. It, it depends on, its business depends on having operating point of sale devices. This contract was for Toshiba to provide maintenance and repair services for those point of sale devices and related devices in the stores. And I can say that with confidence because this is what the contract itself says. This is at uh, page 62 of the record, the Master Maintenance and Services Agreement. Services for non-Toshiba products, and I should have said, uh, Your Honors, um, these were not Toshiba products that SFS had. These were non-Toshiba products, OEM products, that Toshiba was using in its stores. But, but Toshiba said that SFS was using it in its stores, excuse me. But Toshiba said, we can do the maintenance and service for those kinds of products. And the contract said what those services are. This is, pay, again, page 62 of the record. Servicer will provide the services as described in this agreement to eligible and covered products at the installed locations, at the store locations. That's where the contract is centered, not in North Carolina. What are those kinds of services? Again, reinforces the idea that, that the contract is not centered in North Carolina. It's, it's out where these stores are. And the stores, I should have said, are in California, Nebraska, uh, Nevada, and Arizona, so West Coast. So are you saying that the contract is centered in those three states at the store locations where those equipment items are situated? It would be, yes, Your Honor. So is this one major contract or are these separate individual contracts for the stores that are located in each of the individual sites in those states? It is one master maintenance and service agreement that applies to all of the stores. Uh, and and the, the contract specifies those stores, specifies the products in those stores, and then provides for the maintenance and repair services for those products. Again, point of sale products at the store level. So the North Carolina Corporation, uh, Toshiba, would uh, be going to each of the individual sites is your contention in terms of maintenance and repair? Absolutely, Your Honor, and that's exactly what Toshiba sold SFS on its ability to do. It has vans stocked with these parts. Point of sale. Key to the operating business of these stores have to have those point of sale devices operating. So the contract uh, requires immediate, same-day service, next-day service. And so Toshiba said, we can do that. We can meet that requirement that, that SFS has to make sure those point-of-sale devices keep, keep operating because we've got in the field technicians, vans, forward stocking locations where we keep the products if, if they're needed to repair or replace. All that out on the West Coast. That's what Toshiba said it would do. That's what SFS wanted Toshiba to do, and that's what the contract requires. Is it your contention that your client would have no foreseeability that the North Carolina Corporation Toshiba would at any time bring any of that equipment into a North Carolina facility for anything more major in terms of maintenance and repair? Your Honor, uh, it could do that. Uh, it could do that. That's a unilateral decision by Toshiba. Toshiba can decide whether to repair or replace. If it decides to repair, it can send that device, whatever it is, uh, wherever it wants to. And again, that's specific in the contract. Toshiba is uh, 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 permitted expressly under the contract to send for services to any other servicer or any other third party that it chooses. And so that is a unilateral decision, and a unilateral decision by the, the forum resident can't be attributed to SFS, the non-forum resident, as a relevant jurisdictional contact. Why would that not alone suffice to establish minimum contacts? Because it's not the defendant's contacts, Your Honor, and that's the key. 
the, uh, and, that's, that, and that's my second point. So my first point was, again, not centered there. Second uh, overriding principle that applies in a personal jurisdiction case, non-form resident contracting with a form resident, it is the non-form resident's contacts with the form, not the form resident's contacts with the form. So, so I thought the uh, standard of review is we look at findings of fact, and it seems to me you're addressing finding of fact nine, and we ask uh, whether these are supported by competent evidence. Uh, and, and now I'm getting a sense that you're really arguing that even if we take as true what's here, uh, the trial court misapplied these findings and that from a legal standpoint, uh, the trial court uh, wrongly applied the law. I is that what you're arguing? It's, bo it's both, Your Honor. There is, a, there is a finding of fact in paragraph 9 that is not supported by competent evidence. And which would that be? A and that is, uh, although Smart and Final could have chosen to own and maintain the seed stock itself, that's not correct. SFS could have chosen to own the seed stock, but even in that circumstance, Toshiba control where the seed stock would go. And I can cite the, the court to where that is in the, uh, in the Master Maintenance and Services Agreement. Um, but well, that's... I'm, I'm not understanding, although Smart and Final could have chosen to own, could have chosen to maintain the seed stock itself. Which, which of those statements is not supported? It's maintained. Because the, the, the question, or the... As I understood, the question from Justice Morgan was, well, isn't it foreseeable that uh, Toshiba could send some of the products to its North Carolina location? Um, and, and my answer was, uh, that's not a relevant jurisdictional contact because it's not SFS. So if SFS owned, I would say, as a hypothetical, if SFS owned the equipment and sent the equipment to Toshiba in North Carolina, that would be different. If it, if it chose to maintain the seed stock in North Carolina, that would be a relevant jurisdictional contact because it would be SFS FSS's, excuse me, decision where to maintain the seed stock. But that's not what the contract says. It's paragraph five of, of the uh, uh, agreement, and it's at record page 63, Toshiba controls where the seed stock goes, even if it's owned by SFS. Well, I, think, I think what the trial court was saying is that, that that provision is a negotiated part of the agreement, and that uh, SF, <coughs> SFS could have uh, negotiated otherwise. But part of the negotiation was a recognition that Toshiba would uh, have the seed stock, uh, some of which would have been in North Carolina, and that these were all part of the uh, components that went into the ultimate agreement. How is that interpretation not consistent with what the trial court found in its finding? Well, because it's... Uh, it's the unilateral decision of Toshiba where to place the seed stock. And, and I, Chief Justice, your question was if Toshiba decides to put some of the seed stock in North Carolina. That's its decision. It's not a contact. Well, the, the question is, is, did the defendant know that Toshiba, reasonably should they have been aware that Toshiba would uh, have some of the seed stock in North Carolina? The answer to that is no, uh, Chief Justice, and, and on these points. But isn't that, that the trial court's finding a fact you want us to reweigh? No, because there's no competent evidence of that. The competent evidence that's, that's the only evidence is that Toshiba is based in North Carolina. That's the only evidence, and we cited the U.S. chemical storage case that said that is not a sufficient basis to assume or presume or infer that that means that the work is going to be done in the forum. 
That's let's let, let's say hypothetically, I'm uh, over here, Mr. Sun. Yes, sorry. Uh, let, let's let's say hypothetically that your client had been aware that the seed stock would be sent back to the depot in North Carolina for repair. Is it your argument that that is irrelevant? I understand you also contend that there's no evidence that they knew that, but that's a different issue. Assuming that they knew it, is that relevant or irrelevant? It is relevant. Right. Uh, and so what role should it have in our analysis? Well, it's, it falls far short of establishing a sufficient connection for SFS to North Carolina because that's not where the contract is sent. So if I sign a, so your argument then is if I, if, if, if I sign a contract with an entity to repair my computer equipment and I know that that equipment is going to be sent to Idaho, uh, even though I know that if the contract doesn't provide for it, that still does not subject me to jurisdiction in Idaho? So t two questions there. there. There's no in the contract term, and I, as I understood your... your well, I, mean, I mean, you've got a contract that provides, and let's say hypothetically you've got a contract that provides for the repair of my computer equipment somewhere, and I happen to know that it's being sent to Idaho and that a substantial amount of it is being sent to the other entity for repair, and the only repair facility that I know about is in Idaho. Am I subject to suit in Idaho? That would be the Tom Togs case, uh, Your Honor, and, and well, the answer that. I, I'm afraid I don't have all of the all of these cases in my head this morning, but uh, uh, the answer would be yes. Okay. Because uh, although Tom Togs was different, because the contract term did also say to the non-forum resident. The work's going to be done in North Carolina, but what this court said in Tom Togs is because the performance of the contract was in North Carolina, and, and, and that is sufficient for purposes of establishing jurisdiction oh, over, over the non-form defendant. But if, if I understand your, co your colleague's argument, their argument seems to be that your client knew or should have known, even though it was not spelled out directly in the contract where the seed stock would be sent and repaired, that the fact that you either knew or should have known that it was being sent to North Carolina to the Toshiba Depot here, that they say that's enough to create substantial contacts with North Carolina. You say that it's not. It is not. Why? Uh, first of all, again, the contract is not centered there. Where the contract is performed is at the store level. I mean, so, so the critical factor then is it doesn't matter what your client knows or has reason to know. What matters is what does the, what does the contract itself provide? Well, you, uh, again, this, I think it could be both what the contract provides and it could be added to what the, what the non-form resident knows. In a contract case, mutual understandings can also come into play. And if there was a mutual understanding, even if not written in the contract terms, that SFS had a mutual understanding that Toshiba was going to repair things in North Carolina, that would be a jurisdictionally relevant. So, so does this case? So does this case rise or fall on the question of whether your client had some reason to believe that the uh, seed stock would be sent to Durham or Raleigh, wherever it was, to uh, be repaired? No, Your Honor, because. I'm, 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 I, feel, I'm, I don't want to chase, have this chase around the mulberry bush here for a second, but it seems to me on the one hand, you've, I understood you perhaps erroneously to concede that if you, your client knew or had reason to believe that a substantial volume of the seed stock was being sent to North Carolina for purposes of repair, that uh, that hypothetically could be sufficient to support a finding of minimum conducts. Did I misunderstand you? Well, it was the, it was the, the adjective, I think, Your Honor, used there, substantial part. Okay. Substan if, if a substantial part of the contract is being performed in the state of North Carolina and SFS either knows that because it's in the contract. Which I don't think anybody contends here. Right. I mean, I think the contention from your colleagues is that you had every reason to believe that uh, and that reason to, reason to believe should be sufficient. That seems to be their argument. I think, I think that is, uh, Your Honor, and again, that's not sufficient here because even if, even if 
SFS knew that there was going to be some repair work done. It's a unilateral decision by Toshiba, and unilateral decisions are not attributable to the non-form defendant, and it's not where the contract is centered. It comes Let me ask you about that. I'm looking at finding, I guess it's listed under conclusions of law in the, the order of the, the trial court, that says that the agreement and the prices proposed by Toshiba assume that much of that work would take place in the depot in North Carolina. Put simply, SFS sought and bargained for comprehensive repair and support service that um, required continuous and extensive coordination between Toshiba's technicians and its headquarters. It was foreseeable and expected that Toshiba would perform a substantial part of that service at its facilities in the state. Um, and then in their brief, the appellees point to the presentation that was done in connection with the contract that specifically says that the depot's in Raleigh, North Carolina, and some admissions that Toshiba knew. Um, so my question is, there, the argument is that that supports this, to the extent of finding fact that it's supported. Um, what's wrong with that analysis? Because that presentation didn't have anything to do with the contract or the services to be provided under the contract, and we addressed that in our brief. First of all, it was talking about Toshiba point-of-sale equipment, not OEM equipment. But didn't, didn't your client choose the type of servicing plan to be one that would require that the items be shipped for service? To, uh, to the items would be replaced immediately if, if they couldn't be repaired on site. But again, the presentation that talks about headquarters, and it doesn't actually say depot, Your Honor, but headquarters, is not the kind of equipment that we're talking about here because it's Toshiba point-of-sale equipment, not OEM equipment. Number two, it's not the kind of services we're talking about here. That's talking about the kind of support. Our presentation given to, to SFS that precipitated the signing of the contract said that kind of support would be in Georgia and Arkansas. And, and again, we cited that in our, in our brief. So that finding, I mean, I'm not sure that that's the, the specific finding, but there isn't a finding that uh, Appley argues that. They, they point to that specific presentation, and it just does not support that finding at all because it is inapposite to the contract that was here. It's not our, not our point of sale equipment. It's not the kind of services that were being provided. In fact, the kind of services that were provided by the headquarters for Toshiba point of sale equipment, Toshiba said would be provided to SFS from Arkansas and Georgia, not North Carolina. So there was no anticipation that uh, items would be shipped from the headquarters? Is that your, is that your position? Well, no. Yes, it is our position. Okay. The, the, the uh, contract left it unil in, un in the unilateral decision, except for having equipment near the stores. I mean, in order to meet the same day or next day service, there had to be equipment, seed stock, out there on the West Coast. Where Toshiba decided to store any other, if any other, seed stock was their decision unilaterally, and, and that can't be attributed to um, SFS. You're well within your rebuttal time. You have a minute and 30 seconds left. I'll stand down then. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Counsel. Good morning, Your Honors. I'm Eric Zimmerman with Robinson Bradshaw for the FLE Toshiba Global Commerce Solutions. Toshiba Global Commerce Solutions is a technology company based in Durham, North Carolina. It has uh, hundreds of employees in Durham, dozens of whom work at its depot facility where they repair point-of-sale devices that are used in retail stores. Those depot employees in North Carolina did work that was critical to the contract at issue in this case. In a span of only 10 months, those employees did thousands of repairs and thousands of shipments, all in North Carolina, all to benefit Smart and Final and achieve the, the key purpose that I heard Mr. Sun say Smart and Final wanted to get under the contract, which was to have working devices in its stores when it needed them. 
Well, what do you say about the argument that um, your colleague just made that though that was entirely Toshiba's choice? Uh, well, a couple of your responses on that, Your Honor. Number one, uh, that it was anticipated all along that Toshiba would be performing that uh, work in North Carolina at its depot. Toshiba had one depot, it was in North Carolina. Smart and Final knew that Toshiba needed to do this repair work at its depot. And, and, and just again, I apologize for interrupting your answer, but I've discovered in these things if I get off track on facts, I then have problems making the correct decisions. So when you say it was understood, who understood? Smart and Final understood, Your Honor. What, all right, what is the evidence in the record that indicates that SFAA, the smart filing, or however we're going to call them, I'm going to get that wrong too, apparently, um, that they understood that uh, def defective equipment would be sent to a facility in Durham to be repaired and then sent back to the West, stored in Toshiba's facility until it was needed in, in an SFS store? Well, there's both direct evidence and, and circumstantial evidence, Your Honor. And so let me, I'll point to that evidence. First, I just want to make clear, I think Your Honor stated our, our position correctly when you were uh, speaking okay. with Mr. Sun. They were saying there's at least reason to know, uh, Smart and Final at least had reason to know in this case that Toshiba's depot was uh, located in North Carolina. And that's all we need to show. Uh, for purposes of personal jurisdiction. Well, and, I mean, it is, it is true, isn't it, that there's nothing in the contract that specifies where the seed stock was to be sent for repair. That's true, Your Honor. The and, and the contract, as I understand it, also provides that ownership of the equipment went from SFF to Toshiba upon determination that it needed to be repaired and then sent to Durham. Yes, we agree that... that Toshiba owned the products at that point. And, and so the, and the shipment of the products was done by Toshiba, not SFS. That's correct. Okay. We don't think, we don't believe that who owned the products or who did the shipping right. makes the difference because Smart and Final was anticipating that those shipments would be made. But as a matter of fact, that's what I just said is correct. Yes, okay. yes, you have those. Now, I've interrupted you when you were answering my question, and maybe I better let you answer it before I interrupt you again, and then I'll let Justice Hudson uh, chastise me for uh, interrupting her. <laughs> Certainly, Your Honor. Uh, so let me just start with the big picture of the evidence here. So Smart and Final, as... Let, let me ask about standard of review before you jump <laughs> into that. Uh, am I correct that we don't reweigh the evidence? We don't comb through the contract or other evidence that was presented. We asked the question, is there uh, competent evidence to support the findings of fact? And do the findings of fact support the conclusions of law? That's our job. Is that right? Uh, I, I certainly agree this court doesn't reweigh the evidence, and you don't comb through the evidence and reweigh the evidence that the business court looked at or reinterpret it. Uh, you know, once you get to the question of um, whether there are sufficient connections to North Carolina, I think uh, that's where the court's recent decisions in the Button case and in the, in the Ponder case come in. And those decisions seem to say that that's a mixed question of law and fact that actually gets some deference, where the business court actually gets some deference as well in terms of whether the connections are enough to rise to the level of a substantial connection. Um, so uh, I think based on those decisions, uh, that's actually treated that it's a mixed question that gets treated more as a question of fact than as a question of law. But even if you treat that as a question of law and, and apply de novo review on the question of whether there are enough contacts here uh, to create a substantial connection to North Carolina, we still believe that the business court decided that issue correctly. But the key, the key you know, what I took to be the key question from your honest question is that uh, this court doesn't reweigh the evidence. And as Justice Hudson pointed out in paragraph 32 of its opinion, the business court made a finding that Smart and Final expected Toshiba to do this work at its facilities in North Carolina. And I was going to ask you about that because your colleague, um, in response to my question, as I understood his answer, was that the um, evidence didn't support that. Well, we, we think it does, Your Honor, and so let me explain why. Uh, so I want to start with the big picture here, which is that Smart and Final, as the business court found, is a large, sophisticated company that's deeply familiar with the market for point-of-sale devices and services. The parties here negotiated for over a year, did due diligence with each other for over a year, and Smart and Final, uh, as, as my friend said, is, 
entirely dependent on its point-of-sale devices to keep its stores running and to make sales. And it uses these devices to do billions of dollars in sales each year. And it hired Toshiba uh, for a multi-year contract to service those devices and keep them working and was paying Toshiba uh, millions of dollars per year to do that. And in, I think all of that evidence is a very strong circumstantial evidence that uh, Smart and Final understood where these repairs would happen and where the depot was. So, but even so, if you so, need so more... point number one is this is a big company. They knew what they were doing. Therefore, they should have known what, where their equipment was going. Well, that's part of it. But the, you also had over a year's worth of negotiations. You had multiple presentations. You had discussions going on for an extended period of time. I, I don't... Even if you disagree, that that is enough standing I mean, it seems alone. to we me have, to be making an assumption about what they discussed in the course of negotiations that there doesn't seem to be any record about one way or the other. Well, well, let me go to the direct evidence. So, the, the business, so there was a presentation that Toshiba sent to Smart and Final. Justice Hudson ref referenced it earlier. What that presentation told Smart and Final was that Toshiba had an expert staff of trained personnel that was located in North Carolina and that provided support for point-of-sale systems. In, and the, in my understanding of your colleague's argument as to why that's not sufficient in this case is, one, it's a different contract involving different equipment and different services. And so I, if I think that's his argument, uh, is his argument factually incorrect? Uh, yes, I disagree okay, well, with his tell factual me, argument. Tell me how. Well, because what that statement was saying, so it was a presentation about both software and hardware. Uh, and what that presentation said was that uh, Toshiba had a, a team, an expert staff of trained personnel that did support for point of sale systems. So it didn't limit that statement to software and say we only provide software support at the Durham Depot. It didn't say we, we only provide support uh, uh, for the particular kinds of devices here from that from that depot it said this is it told it told smart and final this is where we have an expert staff that's located that does these things and the business court judge conrad looked at that presentation and he interpreted it and drew an inference that it was referring to the depot in durham north carolina and you can so, see so to, to put your argument in different words to make sure i'm understanding it and the ultimate question is am i understanding you correctly your argument is yes it's a different contract yes we're talking specifically about different equipment but this refers to our staff in general and where it's located and what it does what i think you've you've stated it accurately your honor yes okay. i agree with that and the other and thing i, I point and out and from that from that the trial court could appropriately infer that SFS was aware that its seed stock was being sent to uh, Durham for repair? Yes. Okay. The, the business court drew that inference, and we think it properly drew that inference. You know, the, the presentation also, you know, so my, my, my friends have focused on the fact that this particular part of the presentation was about software, which was not what Smart and Final contracted for here. But on the very next page of the presentation, it went on to talk about hardware, and it even talked about the types of maintenance that Toshiba could provide for that hardware. So when you look at the presentation as a whole, as a whole uh, it was, it, we think it was appropriate for the business court to draw the factual inference, interpreting the evidence in front of it, you know, looking at the hundreds of pages in the record, uh, to conclude that that uh, was a reference to the depot, and it therefore put Smart and Final on notice that the depot was in North Carolina. Just, just one final question on the, for me on this issue of whether or not the um, record supports the trial court's finding of fact on this point. The presentation also has a field support coverage map, which only shows locations in the western part of this country, western states, and then the help desk services with 100% of store POS support. All of that is talking about Georgia and Arkansas. So, so I guess I'm still looking for where in the record is there factual support for the conclusion that they should have known that the um, seed stock would be find its way to North Carolina. Well, to, just to address the two, the two, uh, the field support locations and the the um, help desk support you're on to mention. You know, those are distinct from the services that Toshiba provided at the depot. So the field service locations are where the parts and products go so they can be close to the smart and final stores and then be replaced or plugged in, you know, 
on the same day or on the next day, as Mr. Sun was emphasizing. Uh, the help desk is where Toshiba received calls from the client. They got phone calls and answered them and would you know, triage the calls and direct them to the right place so that, so that Toshiba would know where to send a technician or what to do. And you, you can see that just by looking at that presentation and looking at it, what, what it's describing. But what the presentations all made clear was that something different was going on at the depot. The depot was where repairs happened. That's where Toshiba repaired uh, point-of-sale devices. So I don't think, I, I think that the business court was correct not to uh, think that the presentation, those references to work that Toshiba was doing in other states were references to the depot or somehow suggested the depot was not in North Carolina. Um, you know, in terms of the evidence that the depot was here, it, it, the best piece of evidence is the one that the business court looked at and the one that the business court relied on about the statement in the presentation about the, um, about the expert team that's located in North Carolina. You know, what, I think the other, the other point I'd make about that statement in the presentation is what it really told Smart and Final was that Toshibo doesn't just have its headquarters in North Carolina. It's not just doing kind of back office type work in North Carolina. It actually has employees in North Carolina doing technical support and technical maintenance for point of sale systems. And this contract was about point of sale systems. That is what Toshiba was going to be servicing and maintaining under the contract at issue here. So what the contract was saying was, yeah, we have our, what the presentation was saying was, yes, we have our headquarters in North Carolina, but we also have our team here that provides the services that we give to our customers. And that's another important reason why Justice, Con why, uh, excuse me, Judge Conrad was uh, correct to draw the inference that that uh, portion of the presentation was discussing uh, the depot. When you uh, were reciting cases that this court has recently determined as to personal jurisdiction, which is impacted by the particular issue of minimum contacts, uh, you didn't mention Muha versus Wagner. Do you see Muha versus Wagner as having an application here? And if it does, uh, what would be your position since the other side fairly heavily relies on Muha versus Wagner in terms of personal jurisdiction relative to its argument that it didn't know where Toshiba necessarily was doing remote equipment maintenance and repair, just as in Muha, the defendant didn't know necessarily where his calls were going uh, through the cell phone network. What would be your position on that in terms of relevance at all from Muha, and if so, how here? Uh, I have two points to make on, on Muha, Your Honor. Uh, the first point is I think that Muha is highly relevant for the, on the issue that Your Honor was just describing about knowledge and what the proper standard is for knowledge uh, when we're in, analyzing personal jurisdiction. And what Muha very clearly says multiple times is that the question is not what the not only what the defendant subjectively knew, but also what the defendant had reason to know. And the Muha used multiple formulations of that reason to know, should have known, should have anticipated. So I think Muha makes very clear that uh, we don't need to show that Smart and Final actually knew that the depot was in North Carolina. We only need to show that Smart and Final had some reason to know that the depot was in North Carolina. And for the reasons I've been discussing this morning, we, we, the business court made that factual finding. It's a factual issue of what it had reason to know. The business court made that finding, and the competent evidence supports that finding, and the court shouldn't reweigh that evidence. The second, Go ahead. The second point on MUHA uh, is that uh, my friend relies on MUHA to argue that uh, in a contract case, there's only personal jurisdiction if the contract is centered in the forum state. And, uh, it's true that MUHA has that language and it quoted the Supreme Court's decision in the Ford case for that. But neither MUHA nor Ford were contract cases. And uh, so the, the courts in those cases were really just giving some background principles on personal jurisdiction and due process. And they gave, used that centered language to give an example of a situation in which uh, due process can be satisfied. But we don't read those cases which were not about contracts to establish a controlling test for when there's personal jurisdiction in a contract case and when there isn't. And the place to look for that controlling test in a contract case 
uh, are the leading decisions on contract cases, which are the US Supreme Court's decision in Burger King and this court's decision in Tom Toggs. Tom Toggs, Justice Irvin, was where the shirt manufacturer in North Carolina made the shirts and then sent them to the distributor in New York. Uh, and in those cases, neither the US Supreme Court nor this court suggested that there needs to be an analysis of whether the contract is centered in the forum state. Instead, the test is the one that uh, my friend uh, emphasized and agreed this morning is the right one. It's whether there is a substantial connection between the contract and the forum state. So the test is not whether it's the primary connection between the contract and the forum state. It's not whether it's the main connection. It's whether there's a substantial connection. And if let, I could, I think. Let me unpack that a little bit and then center back. Tom Toggs was based upon a singular contractual transaction. Isn't that right? Yes, that's true, Your Honor. And if that's so, doesn't that distinguish Tom Toggs from the present case in terms of an ongoing relationship in and of itself? I think it makes the case for personal jurisdiction here stronger, Your Honor. Here we have a multi-year contract with thousands of repairs and thousands of shipments being done on a daily basis over a multi-year period. And so I think the fact that the court held that there, that there were minimum contacts and there was a substantial connection in Tom Toggs based on a single purchase order for $44,000 worth of shirts uh, shows that the same conclusion about a substantial connection follows even more strongly in this case where we have multi-million dollar contract over multiple years uh, with, with ongoing services provided by Toshiba in North Carolina. And as I continue to double back and, and conclude, uh, is Tom Togg's distinguishable and the line of cases that you were discussing distinguishable from MUHA in light of the fact that they in Tom Toggs, that was a singular transaction versus here, where there was an ongoing relationship in the present case, or is it based upon the fact that contract matters are different in this context than in MUHA, which involved personal relationship? The, the, I think the key distinction between our case and Tom Toggs, which I put on one side, and MUHA on the other, is whether there was reason to know. So as I understand it, MUHA turned on the point that the defendant in that case had no reason to know that when he called uh, the plaintiff's cell phone that she was in North Carolina. Here and in Tom Toggs, the defendant had reason to know that the plaintiff would be performing the contract in the forum state. In Tom Toggs, the, the, the defendant in New York uh, had knew and had reason to know that the shirt manufacturer would make the shirts in North Carolina, and here, uh, Smart and Final had reason to know that Toshiba would perform a substantial part of its services uh, under the contract in North Carolina. And so that's the distinction. It's, it's really the knowledge issue that, uh, that distinguishes MUHA from this case. But not, if I could shift back to the centered point, um, uh, the, as I, I think what I was trying to say there is that, is that uh, Smart and Final is arguing for the wrong test when it argues that the contract needs to be centered in the forum state. Uh, uh, and I don't think you can read a, that controlling test into MUHA or Ford, and really it's contrary to the substantial connection test uh, that's set out in Burger King. It's also by the, uh, the Hansen v decision from the US Supreme Court, which is really foundational on purposeful availment, says that the center of gravity approach is not the right way to look at personal jurisdiction. It says that that might be the right way to look at issues like choice of law or, or venue or forum nonconvenience. That might be where you're comparing uh, the connections between the contract and the forum state and the connections between the contract and some other state. But that's not the right way to look at the threshold question of personal jurisdiction. In that context, you're just asking, are there enough connections between the contract and the forum uh, to cross some threshold level and create minimum contacts with the forum state so that the, f the defendant at least has some reason to anticipate that it might be subject to suit in the forum state. Uh, Can I ask you about uh, the Burger King facts and how they play out in this circumstance? Because it, 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 is, a, it is a contract case. And um, you know the franchisee was performing all of its um, activities outside of the 
um, form state Florida. But it seems that there were other factors present there to establish the contacts for the franchisee that aren't present here. So there was a um, choice of law provision that said that Florida law would apply. It was a 20-year contract. And there was sort of built into the franchisee agreement um, control and you know minimum standards and all sorts of ways that um, the franchisee knew that they had to be deal with what the folks in Florida were saying. It, it, isn't the absence of those factors in this case um, make make it distinguishable on important facts? Well, no, I don't. I don't agree, Your Honor. So let me address those. I actually think some of those factors are present here. So kind of taking them in reverse order. You, your Honor referred to the, the control that Burger King was exercising from Florida. Really, that's just another way of saying Burger King's conduct under the contract uh, mattered in creating a connection to Florida. And Burger King was the plaintiff in that case. And uh, so what the, what, by emphasizing that performance of the contract in Florida, what the US Supreme Court was saying is you look at the plaintiff's performance of the contract and that can help to create a substantial connection to the forum state. And so the same is true here. We have substantial performance by Toshiba in North Carolina, uh, and that helps to create a substantial connection. On the length of the contract, certainly I agree 20 year, the 20-year contract in Burger King was longer than the one here, although this one was three years and had, had options to renew, so it could have gone on for 20 years. But even so, I think the, the, the principle that Burger King was getting at uh, and it said this in the opinion, was that when a defendant creates continuing obligations to a forum resident, the defendant is then on notice that it may be subjecting its suit to subjecting itself to suit in the forum state. And I think, uh, you know, 20 years is, is certainly enough to do that, but I don't think 20 years is required to create a continuing obligation. And here we have a continuing obligation with the three-year contract. And then on the choice of law, uh, Justice Earls, um, it's true that there was a Florida choice of law provision in the contract in Burger King, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that was central to the Supreme Court's analysis. The Supreme Court mentioned the choice of law provision only at the end of its analysis, and only said that that choice of law provision reinforced the conclusion that there was a substantial connection to Florida. And in fact, it really only brought it up because the uh, the defendant in that case, the franchisee, was trying to make an argument that. He didn't know that he was contracting with a Florida entity. He said he would just thought he was contracting with the local Burger King office in Michigan. And so the um, Supreme Court was saying the choice of law provision gave him reason to know that he was actually contracting with the Florida entity. Um, and uh, you know that was the relevance of the choice of law provision there. And here, there's no question that Smart and Final knew that it was contracting with a North Carolina entity. Uh, and so I don't think we need the choice of law provision to support us on that point. Um, uh, so for those reasons, uh, you know, I, think, I think Burger King applies. I think those, same, those are the same types of facts that this court relied on in the Tom Toggs decision, and those are the same key facts that the business court relied on um, to, to, uh, to rule in our favor here. The, the other point I want to emphasize is that Smart and Final is trying to swap horses in this appeal. So we've been talking a lot about whether there was reason to know and, and evidence uh, that Smart and Final knew that the depot was in North Carolina. Smart and Final never argued in the business court that it didn't know the depot was in North Carolina. So to the extent there's evidence, uh, a lack of evidence, a lack of direct evidence on their knowledge of where the depot was, the place to lay the blame for that is on Smart and Final for not putting this factual issue before the business court. So in the business court, Smart and Final was making arguments about well do, well, do you have the burden of showing jurisdiction, or do they have the burden of showing a lack of jurisdiction? We have the burden to show jurisdiction, Your Honor. So why are, the, why are they obligated to uh, advance proof that negates the contention that you make? Well, I'm not, saying they had the, the, I'm not saying they had the burden to put that proof. I'm saying they had the burden to make that argument in the business court if they wanted I mean, to preserve it. Typically, our standard of review on findings of fact is that since they're typically made after the parties have had a chance to make their arguments, that you can challenge a finding as lacking in evidentiary support uh, regardless. Isn't, isn't that true? Um, well, I, I don't know about that, Your Honor. I think, I think if a party's making Can you, cite, can you cite me an example of where somebody's bought the argument that you made, you're, you're making in front of this court? 
Well, I think the best example would be the Thompson Hine. It's not a North Carolina case, but it's the Thompson well, Hine. Can you, I mean, these are our, you know, preservation rules. Is there any decision in this court that uh, supports acceptance of the argument that you're making with respect to preservation? Um, I don't know of a, a case that specifically holds that a, a you don't need to make a factual argument. I mean, particularly if the if the if the par, par, party sought to be uh, precluded didn't have the burden of proof in the trial court. Well, no, I guess I don't know of a case that makes the point that specifically, Your Honor. But I guess I'd, I'd point you to the recent decision in the M.E. versus T.J. case, which says that preservation. Uh, the preservation analysis is a functional one, and you're supposed to look at uh, whether the party uh, put the trial court on notice of the issue that it wanted the trial court to decide. And I would submit it's the rationale for putting the trial court on notice of an issue to decide is especially strong when you're dealing with a factual issue. Um, the, the trial court, particularly in this context of personal jurisdiction where it's looking at competing affidavits, is acting as the fact finder is weighing the evidence, is, is making the factual findings. And so I think if you have a factual argument you want to make in that context, you should make it in the trial court in the first instance and not raise it for the first time on appeal. You know, I, I take the point that we had the burden, but I think what the point I'm trying to express is that Smart and Final did not argue in the business court that we failed to meet our burden because we didn't put in evidence of a lack of knowledge. Now they're making that argument on appeal, so they're shifting theories on appeal. They made legal arguments in the business court about how Toshiba's uh, performance in, the, in, the, in North Carolina didn't matter because it wasn't required by the contract to happen in North Carolina. But they didn't dispute the lack of knowledge. So um, you know, certainly if they had made that argument, I think the evidence could have been developed more fully on this issue. Uh, uh, we think the evidence is sufficient as it is, um, but to the extent there's any disagreement about that, I think that, you know, we, we said in our brief in the business court that Toshiba, I'm sorry, that Smart and Final knew that the depot was in North Carolina and that we would be performing here. Smart and Final did not come back in its reply brief or at the hearing and dispute that or argue that it didn't know the, um, the depot was in North Carolina. And in fact, at the hearing in the business court, Judge Conrad specifically asked my friend what evidence there was in the record on whether, uh, on what Smart and Final knew about the depot's location. And Smart and Final didn't argue a lack of knowledge. And in fact, it said uh, that Smart and Final was aware that Toshiba had operations in North Carolina. So I see that as tantamount to a concession that uh, Smart and Final had the knowledge that the depot was here. Uh, but even if it doesn't rise to that level, I think it confirms that um, Smart and Final wasn't making that factual argument in the business court, and it shouldn't be able to swap theories and make that argument for the first time in this court. Um, the last point I'd like to make with my, my time remaining is that um, you know, I think Smart and Final argued in its brief that, that Toshiba's performance in North Carolina uh, doesn't count because it wasn't required by the contract. If I heard Mr. Sun correctly this morning, I think he's now moving away from that position and agreeing that so long as Smart and Final had reason to know that Toshiba would be doing this performance in North Carolina, that performance in North Carolina counts under the contract. And I think my friend is right to move away from that earlier argument that, that uh, the performance only counts if it's required by the contract because that's not supported by Burger King, it's not supported by Tom Togs. Those are cases where you had anticipation that performance would happen in the forum state and that that anticipated performance counted to create a substantial connection. Here we have that. We have thousands of repairs, thousands of shipments, all in North Carolina, just as uh, Smart and Fennel anticipated. And all of that work was central to performing this contract. Uh, and indeed, I think if you're asked where the contract was centered, even if you apply that test based on all that work in North Carolina, the contract was centered here in North Carolina. Thank you. Thank you, Council. Rebuttal. May it please the court. Respectfully, there's not a waiver here. We argued in the business court exactly what Justice Irvin said we argue we could argue. 
that Toshiba didn't carry its burden. That's the same thing that we're arguing here. There's no waiver at all. We addressed that in our reply brief. But there is a different argument that Toshiba is advancing. It's this, it's this issue of this presentation. Uh, and I can cite record page 270. Toshiba has expert staff of trained personnel that will support you on our POS systems. Doesn't say anything about depot, doesn't say anything about maintenance and service. And how do I know that? Two things. Tracy White, the affiant, said it doesn't have anything to do with maintenance and service. And so did Toshiba in its trial court brief. We cited that, page 413 of its trial court, uh, I'm sorry, the record supplement. This is what Toshiba said. Pro that was a proposal, a request for pricing of products and services unrelated to POS maintenance and repair. Unrelated. That's what they argued below. They can't come in here and, and make a different argument. They didn't ask the business court to make that finding, and the business court didn't make that finding. You can look all the way through the business court's many factual findings. It does refer to that presentation. It does not make a finding that connects that to knowledge of the depot in North Carolina. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you, Counsel. Thank you, everyone. Yeah.